Well, friend, who do you think Jesus is? Perhaps you've never thought much about this question. After all, he lived more than 2,000 years ago. We often don't think about people who lived just a few years ago, let alone someone who lived thousands of years before us. If you really think about it, Jesus never served in public office. He never wrote a book. He never sat on a prestigious chair of theology. He never served as a professor or an official capacity as a teacher. He was merely an ordinary carpenter, born in an obscure village to really insignificant parents of no real lineage. He was born, he lived, and presumably he died. But perhaps you've heard a few things about him. You've heard that he was a good teacher, had an eclectic band of followers, and uh, he was morally upright. He was a good guy. He was a friend's friend. He taught people how to be good. And he gave them an example to follow. Perhaps you've heard that he was a man of the people, like uh, an ancient Robin Hood. Robbing from the poor and, or robbing from the rich rather, and giving to the poor. Perhaps even heard that he did a a number of miracles, though you're not sure how he did it. Perhaps just parlor tricks. Perhaps you this morning, some of you, have invested significant time seeking to know and understand who Jesus is. Who do you think he is? Friend, you've come to the right place and at the right time. The passage before us this morning in Luke chapter 8 is really all about who Jesus is and answering that particular question. Perhaps you've been in church your whole life and you have an answer to that question that may not be the answer we find in the text this morning. And so this morning, I hope in your mind, you have that question, who is Jesus? Not who do you think he is, or or rather who you want him to be, but, but who did he reveal himself to be? Now again, before we dive into this text, I want to remind you why Luke is writing. Luke is writing this particular gospel to encourage his friend named Theophilus. Theophilus was a Christian a faithful brother in Christ. We don't know when Theophilus came to know Jesus or how long he has been a Christian. But all of these stories compiled together by a physician named Luke, who is a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul, and traveled all over the known world taking the Gospel to these people, learning story after story from Jesus' disciples, from Mary, Jesus' own mother, and compiled this down and gave us an orderly account in order to give assurance of the things we have come to know and believe. He has set out to strengthen Theophilus' faith in the power of the Lord to save. And this morning, as a Christian, my hope is that you are strengthened in your faith, strengthened in your trust that Jesus is able to save sinners. 
through a series in our text this morning of four miracles, each of which are unified around a common theme, Jesus' power and authority to save. Each one, like a hammer hitting a nail, drives home a singular point. Jesus can save because He has power to save. And before we dive into this text, I, wanna, I want you to understand the totality of it. Really get a sense of the weight of it. This is a long text. It begins in verse 22 and ends in verse 56. Some of these stories are very long and lengthy and detailed. But Luke has organized these four stories in a unit. I want to show you the, the overall arching outline of it. It begins with His disciples perishing. So the story begins, this this section begins with Jesus and His disciples out on the lake and they are perishing. They're dying because of the storm. And it ends with a little girl dying. And so you have the disciples at the beginning dying, and you have this little girl dying at the end of the story, and Jesus is able to save both of them. And then in the middle, you have two equal mirroring stories of hopelessness. First, a man who has a demon, or demons, plural, who is so hopeless That no one is able to free him, enslave him. They chain him up and leave him to die. And that is mirrored with the hopelessness of the woman who has a discharge of blood. She spent her entire wealth and family fortune trying to be healed. And no physician can heal her. Except for Jesus. In the midst of life's hopelessness, in the midst of life's greatest fear, death, Jesus saves. Let's look at that this morning. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. One day, Jesus got into a boat with His disciples and said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that He commands even winds and water? And they obey Him. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met Him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time He had worn no clothes, and He had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. 
He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the, deep, the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it to the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and found the man whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them. They were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, twelve years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the crowd pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter asked, Master, the crowd surrounds you and, and you're pressing on in you. Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, declared in his presence of all the people why she had touched him, and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, some from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be made well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother and the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do, do not weep, for, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. What a tremendous collection of miracles. I hope you see by hearing them all together, 
like a beautiful tapestry. Luke wants us to, to walk away in awe with the question that the disciples began with. Who then is this? Who is this guy? We've never met anyone like him. Who, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey? The point of the passage is evidently clear, isn't it? That Jesus has creation, or rather authority over creation. Both the seen and the unseen world. The natural and the supernatural. That Jesus has authority over both disease and death. Therefore, Jesus has proven that He is, as that demon declared, the Son of the Most High God. And that because He is the Son of the Most High God, and He has proven His authority and power to save, He is worthy of our trust. I hope you heard it. I tried to emphasize them. One word unifies this whole thing together, and that is fear. Everyone was afraid in this story. The disciples were afraid. The townspeople were afraid. The demons were afraid. The woman was afraid of what she had done. Jairus was afraid that her, his daughter would die. Jesus was never afraid. Because He has power and authority to save. My hope this morning as we consider these in brevity is that our faith would be strengthened in Jesus. I think Luke is writing this so that you and I walk away just as Theophilus would have that day as he heard these and read these. That Jesus can save me. From life's most difficult trials, from my own sin, from utter hopelessness. And so, why should you trust Jesus? Well, I think our passage this morning offers us three main reasons. So if you take notes, there's three points. Number one, you should trust Jesus because Jesus has authority over nature. He has authority over nature. Secondly, you should trust, trust Jesus because He has authority over the supernatural. Jesus has authority over both the seen and the unseen world. Third and finally, you should trust Jesus because Jesus has authority over disease and death. Let's look at each of these. Number one, Jesus has authority over nature. We are told a familiar story to so many of us. Jesus and His disciples are out on the lake. Jesus is taking a nap. His disciples, on the other hand, are losing their minds. Now, I want to remind you a bit of context here. We have 12 disciples in the boat. We know for a fact four of them are professional fishermen. They have been on this lake their entire lives. This is a family business. 
They have been on this. They know where all the honey holes are. They know where all the squalls come. They know where all the problems are. They know this lake like the back of their hand. And so this storm coming on upon them would have not been surprising. This is is not a new area for them. This is not a new territory for them. For four out of the twelve, at least, we know they've experienced something like this before. Regardless, they understand the dire situation that they find themselves in. They know this is not a storm to mess with. Perhaps they've had friends, family who have died from one of these quick coming storms. We're told in the text that a windstorm came down there in verse 23 and that the boat began to be filled with water and that their assessment of the situation was that they were in danger. It was a dire situation. But the story unfolds to demonstrate that the disciples are under His care. Master, Master, we're dying. While He slept, He still was in control. For He was the one who brought the windstorm. Of course, He was the one who could end the windstorm. His disciples had to learn through trial that He was in control. And friend, it is a reminder to us this morning that trials come into our life not because they're enjoyable, but so that you and I will learn to trust Jesus. A life without trial is a life without trust. You will never learn to trust Jesus apart from trial. In fact, Jesus' half-brother James says it that we ought to consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of various kinds. Maybe James was delusional. Consider it joy when we face various trials. Not because trials are enjoyable, but the results of trial are what's enjoyable. The fruit of a trial, we are told in Scripture, is that we are made complete. Jesus here in this story confronts His disciples' fear by calling them to what? Faith. You see, faith is the remedy to fear. We are afraid because we are not in control. In each of these miracles, the one who is afraid is afraid because someone more powerful than them is there, or some situation is more powerful than them. You see, we get afraid when we are out of control, when we cannot control our lives or circumstances or situations, we get afraid, we are fearful. And the remedy to fear, we see here in verse 25, is faith. And we see Jesus here exercising control over His creation. As you heard earlier in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, Jesus is the one who created all things, sustains all things, and therefore can control all. Jesus has authority over nature, brothers and sisters. By calming the raging waves and the furious winds, Jesus demonstrates to his disciples that he has authority over nature. And therefore, as he calls them to, 
worthy of trust. Where is your faith, my friend? Are you in the midst of trial and tribulation? Where is your faith in the one who can, in a word, stop a hurricane dead in its tracks? We see secondly here that Jesus has authority not, over, not only over nature, but over the supernatural. We are told of really a desperate plight here of the demon-possessed. A man who was so d- desperate, so hopeless, that he was relegated to the tombs. He had no clothes on. They tried to bound him with the strongest chains they could find. He would break them. They would rebind him, break him again. The, the entire picture here is one of power, isn't it? The townspeople recognize they have no power over this guy. Not even the strongest chains can, can exercise power over this guy. He's as good as dead. And so let's just put him out there with the dead folks and hopefully he'll join them one day. It was quite a desperate situation, isn't it? Until Jesus came. And when Jesus was there present and these demons saw him, notice the reaction, verse 28. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. These demons recognize immediately who Jesus is and they react in the only way they know how to react because they've seen the glory of the Son from the Father. They know Jesus. They know the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. They were there. They saw Him the day He created them. Jesus created these demons. They weren't demons when He created them. They were angels that had fallen. They knew who he was. And they knew that he had a power. And they cry out, do not torment us. Do not throw us into the abyss. They thought that judgment day, that that final day when, when Satan and his whole lot are thrown into the lake of fire, they thought that day had come. And they were pleading and begging. They're demonstrating Jesus has authority over these destructive demons. They were trying to destroy God's creation, this man, and we see a glimpse of what Jesus is doing, isn't it? He, they're trying to destroy His creation, and He's demonstrating that He has come to restore that which the enemy has sought to destroy. And so they plead, throw us into a herd of pigs, and, and so He gave them permission. The whole story we see, nowhere in this are these demons exercising any control, nor does Jesus have any fear. Now, interestingly enough, Mark, who records this story originally, and Luke here picks up on it and kind of puts his own flavor on it, identifies them as legion. The word legion is a Roman word, a legion of soldiers made up of perhaps upwards of 4,000. Mark mentions specifically there were 2,000 pigs. Regardless of the number of demons, the the idea here is that of impossible power. I mean, we would be afraid for for just 
one demon. It seems as if Satan has kind of emptied hell into, these, into this man to demonstrate his power. He's kind of, you know, arm wrestling. He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, call Jesus out here. Try to arm wrestle Jesus. And Jesus demonstrates his power and authority. Well, the crowds, of course, are not too pleased with it. Not sure why Jesus perhaps did it. They're frustrated and perhaps even frightened that Jesus is then demonstrating this power. It is a reminder to us, isn't it? That not all fear leads to trust in Jesus. These crowds were afraid. The towns were were really just stunned by the whole activity. And they asked Jesus to leave. It is a reminder that some of us are dull. Last week we considered in the parable of the soils that sometimes the seed falls upon the hardened path. These people just witnessed a man who had lived his life in uncontrollable demon possession be instantly delivered and we are told sit in his right mind at the feet of Jesus. And their response was, leave. Friend, it is instructive to us, isn't it? That not all who see Jesus will confess Him as Lord. It is a reminder that you can see the miracles of Jesus and that they are insufficient to save. It is a warning to each of us. But regardless, the whole idea is the domination of divine power to rescue and restore. The story ends there in verse 39. He tells the man, return to your home and do what? Declare how much God has done for you. And he went and told his friends and family what Jesus had done for him. Isn't that a bit of our own story? Isn't that a a nice summary of the Christian life? Of just going and telling people what Jesus has done for us? That we were once in hopeless despair? That we had no hope? We, We were as good as dead? Until Jesus walked into our life, we didn't we didn't invite him, we didn't ask him, we weren't looking for him. We were hanging out with a bunch of corpses, a bunch of dead people. And by the grace of God, Jesus showed up in our lives. It is a reminder that Jesus is stronger than darkness. We need not be afraid. As the Apostle Paul reminds in Ephesians 6 verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. He can command the the winds and the waves. He can command a legion of demons and they obey. We should trust this one who has power over the natural and supernatural world. Finally, in verses 40 through 56, we see that Jesus has authority over disease and death. Now, interestingly enough, I I hope that you kind of noticed a couple parallels here. I've combined these two stories together because Luke has interwoven them to drive home a particular point. That disease and death often go hand in hand. Now remember, Luke is a physician. He would have been perhaps familiar with this woman's condition. 
or one like it. Of course, perhaps Luke many times would have been over a dead body pronouncing the death sentence that this, yes, this person is dead and signing the certificate of death. Well, regardless, we are told, notice here for me, for example, verse 42, that Jairus, this very significant person in this particular town, had an only, what? Daughter. And notice her age. Her, her age is 12 years of age. And we are told that she was dying. Then notice here in verse 43 the sort of parallelism. That this woman who had a discharge of blood for how long? 12 years. And then later at the end there in verse 48, he calls out to her and calls her daughter. Well, of course, she was a daughter. A daughter of someone. These daughters of Israel, one of which had an incurable disease, and one was dead. And Jesus demonstrates His power to save the people of Israel. He has come to the daughters of Israel to save them, to deliver them from their disease and death. For He alone has authority. Now, of course, this, the story of the woman with the discharge of blood. Look there in verse 43 again. She had spent all her living on physicians. She could not be healed by anyone. Now, think about that. If you're hearing that from a doctor, I'm sorry, I can do nothing. What a, what a, what a hopeless situation. What a fearful situation that, that all the experts in all the world, she spent countless thousands of dollars seeking a cure, and there's no cure. No one can heal her. Even the physician Luke saying, it's hopeless. She's as good as dead. Yet, just a touch of the fringe of the garment of Jesus immediately healed her. Immediately. Instantaneously. This unclean woman who had lived her entire life in outcast from the people of Israel, not welcome to any Christmas party, not welcome to any social gathering, never could come to worship, could never be darkening the door of the temple because of her condition. Instantly restored. And I've notated this throughout these sermons, that when you come in contact with Jesus, it is a radical transformation. A radical restoration. It is a picture of what we hope in the resurrection. In the new birth that we have now experienced. And so, a woman with an incurable disease is instantaneously healed by Jesus. And notice what he says to her. Verse 48, and then he said to her, daughter... Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Just as he said to the lame man that his friends lowered in through that roof, 
as he saw their faith. We ought not to be confused that, that, that it was her faith. In other words, as the word of faith movement often wrongly translates this and wrongly interprets this passage, that, it, that is, if I have more faith, then I will be healed. That, that is not Jesus' point here. Jesus' point is that she was healed because she reached out to Jesus and touched Jesus. You see, it's the object of our faith that saves us, not our faith. It's the object, Jesus, that saves. That's the whole point of, of this conversation between Jesus and Peter. You know, I think, well, what's Jesus all freaking out about? I feel power come out of me. This is like, Peter's like, bro, like, do you not see everybody around you? What are you talking about? People, all, all, I'm kind of like needing some hand sanitizer. I'm kind of grossed out here. All these people are pressing in around us, Jesus, and you asked who touched you? Well, what's the point? Jesus wants to make clear that this woman's healing was not an accident. It was purposeful. Jesus healed her. He's trying to make sure in our minds we connect the dots that she touched Jesus and therefore was healed. Lastly, we see in the death of this little girl that Jesus has authority over death. Some might balk and say, well, Jesus had some remedy for this woman, some old salve or medicine. But it's hard to argue with dead people coming to life. In fact, the way the narrator tells the story is such that it is beyond a doubt that, G that this girl is dead. We get the first the report there in verse 49 that Jesus needs to stop his trip over to the house to stop G Jesus, I'm sorry, I don't mean to bother you. I, she's dead. It's, it's, there's nothing can be done. It's hopeless. Because after all, dead people don't come alive. Don't, they, don't, they don't do that. G Jesus, we don't, we don't mean to trouble you. It's over. She's gone. My 12-year-old daughter, my only daughter, is gone. Jesus responds again, do not fear. Here it is. Don't be afraid. What's the remedy to fear? Faith. The word believe there is the word faith. Believe. Believe and she will be well. And to make sure that we understand that, that, that she really is dead and not asleep, we're told that there were professional mourners there that day. Uh, the, the Jews would hire people that were professional mourners, and they would hire them to go and wail and carry on and weep for the dead. In other words, there were people there that knew what dead people looked like, that could testify case after case of dead folks that they had, they had witnessed. This girl was dead, and such that they respond to Jesus and laugh at him when he says, she's only sleeping. For Jesus, death is a is as fleeting as sleep. I mean, do you capture this? We read this and we're like, oh, this little girl, she was dead and then she came alive. No. When is the last time you witnessed a dead person get up out of a, out of a, out of a grave? Out of a coffin? Out of a hospital bed? Never. 
But this little girl, at the word, Jesus, arise. Get up. Jesus has a power. Hopeless fear, filled despair, is overcome through faith-fueled trust in the sovereign authority of Jesus. Each of these stories are, are filled with hopeless fear, filled with despair and brokenness, but each of them are overcome through faith-fueled trust in the sovereign authority of Jesus. Whether it be his authority over nature, his authority over thousands of demons, or his authority over disease and death. Brothers and sisters, faith is the bulldozer to fear. Faith is the only thing, the faith in Christ, in him alone, that he is our sure and steady anchor. That in the darkness, that in the night, I will wait for you. I will wait. We wait hopefully, expectantly, with trust, with faith. My king will come. The darkness is but for a moment. The night will not last forever. Friend, trust in Jesus that he is more powerful than the trials you are facing right now. Whatever it is that you're enduring, whatever darkness you're surrounded by, whatever sin you find yourself captive to, Jesus is more powerful. There is no demon that is greater than Jesus. There's no sinner so far gone that this Jesus can in a moment, in an instant, declare freed forever. Brothers and sisters, fight against hopeless despair through faith in the authority of Jesus. He has power to save. If nature obey, and the supernatural submit and bow to King Jesus. And an incurable disease and an unabated death can be overcome at a word, at a touch. Oh friend, He can save you. And He can save me. I hope today that you leave here with an answer to the question of who Jesus is. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. He rules and reigns over all. I hope that you've seen that He alone is able to fully deliver you from the destructive nature of sin. Friend, you're never too far gone. Grandparent, your grandchildren are never too far gone. Parents, I know it may seem right now that you're losing your children. Let me remind you of the authority of Jesus to save. The remedy for this sin-sick world is the same regardless of the condition. Whether it be the nature rearing and roaring, whether it be the demonic, whether it be the the ravages of sin, and disease, and death. Friend, the remedy is all the same. It is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey? Friend, 
if he can call powerful demons to submit to his word, if a simple touch from a thread from a coat that Jesus is wearing can heal you, if a word from Jesus can call the dead to life, then friend, he can save and he alone can save. Call out to him. Are you hopeless? Then trust in him. Are you ridden with fear? Then trust in him. Are you dead in your sin? Then trust in him and you too can be at peace with God. Brothers and sisters, I think that we ought to walk from this and marvel at the power of Jesus. I mean, truly be awestruck at His power. That nothing can stop Jesus. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life nor death, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because He has power over all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are our only God. And You sent Your Son to die the death we deserved. To live the life we should have. And He was raised from the grave for our For our justification. And I pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to ear. And we would trust in this one King Jesus. Holy Spirit, convict sin in our life. Bring us to repentance and faith. Strengthen the weak. Help us to walk. To give you glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.